Hello and welcome to episode 635 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. We're coming off of a wine it in kind of week. Yes, that's right. In week four, I employed a strategy I rarely execute. You know, just start bitching right out of the gate. Because I went back and forth a zillion times before a lock on Sunday what was effectively a 3v3, but really a 4v4 if you had defense. I played Aiden O'Connell, Zach Moss, Pat Fryermuth, Browns D. The variation I looked at was getting off of Zach Moss for Adam Thielen, completely punting off defense with team preseason, I'm sorry, completely punting off tight end with team preseason legend Tanner Hudson, who was subbing for Irv Smith. Also going down to Panthers D, over Browns D and using all that savings, the Thielen savings, the Tanner Hudson savings, the Panther savings, all of that money to find the 2,700 to play Anthony Richardson over Aiden O'Connell. The quarterback stuff, you know, doesn't bother me too much. Obviously, Anthony Richardson was an awesome play. Dude is Cam Newton. But we don't get an opportunity to play quarterbacks with Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, Josh Jacobs on their team against a bad defense playing without Joey Bosa, Derwin James at $4,000 on DraftKings very often. Like we almost never have that chance. So given the overall setup of the week, I thought AOC, aka Aiden O'Connell, was definitely fine. The part I was tilted about was Zach Moss at 6K. Because if Gardner Minshew was playing, then yes, Zach Moss at 6K home against the Rams with 90% or more of the running back work would have been a smash. And I would have felt great about it. But with Anthony Richardson, well, we get zero targets for Zach Moss and a lot of outcomes. And when Anthony Richardson does throw to Moss, our completion rate is way lower. And we also lose a lot of goal line work. So yeah, we didn't have a great projection on Zach Moss. We had Miles Sanders, Javante Williams, Alexander Madison, Rashad White, Joe Mixon, James Cook, as all better plays in that DK salary range. I oddly felt the need to IKB it and get Moss in, even though I knew and projection showed how much worse he is with Anthony Richardson. Now, yes, I know that Moss ended up having about four chances from inside the five-yard line to score and converted none. And Richardson ended up getting in from the one-yard line. But still, in hindsight, I think the play for cash on DraftKings was just to play the two smashes at running back, Kyron Williams and Christian McCaffrey, and then double-tapped that 4K wide receiver range that was so strong with Palmer, Josh Palmer, Adam Thielen, tanked out. The other mistake I thought was not taking the $900 savings with Tanner Hudson over Pat Fryermuth. I mean, Fryermuth got hurt, but it was going really poorly anyways. I, I just know better at tight end. They're all going to fail. Might as well take the cheapest failure in cash. I mean, each week, no more than two tight ends this year have gone over 15 points. In week one, it was zero. In week two, it was one. So Whatever. Anyways, I go with the AOC, Zach Moss, Fryermuth, Brown side. And like 30 minutes into the slate, the Panthers D already has a touchdown. A. Rich is already going ham. Thielen is the constant first read for Bryce Young. Fryermuth is dust slash hurt. Zach Moss is doing nothing. You know, things were looking dark. And at that point, my only play was to try to wind it in. You know, I start telling my friends how terrible I am, how I can't believe I fucked up that 3v3 about Panthers DST scoring. In my most humiliating moment of winding it in, I took to Twitter where I said that I played terrible and I'm getting wrecked for IKEA, but I am taking solace in the $35 a week I get from Twitter for my tweets. And then 
once I started winding it in, things started to turn. Zach Moss got a two-point conversion, ended up with nine points. Puka went nuclear, including that overtime play. You know, I was really winding it home. A fluky rushing touchdown from Aiden O'Connell. A 50 ball from Christian McCaffrey later. And I wind in my best catch week of the season. And look, you know, not a recommended strategy, a pathetic one, actually. I should never whine. But it's really an art, you know. You got to know when to use it. It only works in certain spots. Oh, one more thing on cash. So this was an awesome week. I thought there were a ton of ways that you could go. You know, there were a ton of quarterbacks that were fine, a ton of running backs that I thought were in play. So I get it. But still, in the $100 single entry double up, Kyron, who I thought was the lock of all locks, was only 63.4% owned. Puka Nakua was only 51.8% owned at 6,700. Christian McCaffrey, only 58.1%. And Keenan Allen, who I know didn't have a great game, but I did think he was a lock. He was only 72.4%. So generally, I I thought it was super encouraging for the state of cash that all those percentages came in relatively low. And a lot of that flowed through to -to head-to-head also. Oh, last thing, just general comment. I I think I messed up that 4v4, but I still won on the week. And people, you know, idiots, but people still will point to that and say, see, this is all just luck anyways. You know, Adam says he played bad and he still won. Well, well, no, you know, I know you guys listening to this understand, but in the short term, we can make mistakes and play poorly and win, just like we can play well and lose. But in the long term, over enough slates, enough contests, if you play poorly and make mistakes, you will lose. So yeah, you know, there's times like this, it's just a good reminder for me not to bitch when I think I play well and the results aren't there, which I think has happened a couple of times already this season. As for tournaments in week four, I only had four teams this week. Best one was a Stafford double with Kylan Granson bring back. I played Nico Collins on that team at 5,100 and was basically unowned. I thought he was just an awesome pivot off the highly owned Tank Dell at 4,600. Panthers DI played in this lineup against Kirk Cousins, who drops back so many times on a weekly basis at 2,500. Thought I was live to actually win the contest going to the 4 p.m. games, but I didn't go CMC. I had Pollard and Keenan as chalk late, and they obviously failed. You know, when I get off to a really good start like that, I'm just looking to kind of play the best plays at 4 p.m. Maybe I could have done something like Christian McCaffrey, Jacoby Myers, but I really like the spot for Pollard and trying to get first. Um, stuck with Pollard and Keenan there. And uh, didn't get it. But I felt good about this team. You know, one thing I thought was important was understanding how late news affected some of the spots on this slate. For example, AOC starting over Jimmy G was worse for Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer. Just less likely for that game to be a shootout. Maybe I should have thought through that more. You know, Brown's defense for sure worse with Deshaun Watson out. We want our defenses to have a lead so the opposing quarterback is forced into known passing situations. That's where we score. DST points. Anyways, if you watch the GPP review show I did Monday morning with Leone, uh, post-lock Sims did not love the team I just described. I came in like 137th or something out of 370 in the spot in post-lock Sims. Actual results, I finished 70th overall. Uh, But fuck the Sims, you know? I love the team. YOLO. Oh, last thing on tournaments. You know, you you could have won a lot of different ways in tournaments in week four, but one way was through Justin Fields. And man, Justin Fields, I get it, was a tough click given how he's played the first three weeks, but projections loved him. And shout out to Leone and Mark and Jack. People are always like, 
what the fuck are you guys doing? Field sucks. This projection is absurd. Just a good reminder that three weeks in the NFL is still a very, very small sample. A random three-week sample from last season, you know, almost everyone in the NFL has a bad three-week stretch. Now, to be fair, I do think there's some signal in the field stuff. Like, I think he sucks and he's in big trouble to right the ship long-term. But how bad he's been is baked into projection. We don't want to double count. Similar to Jamar Chase against the Titans. I thought it was a really strong play, but not beyond our projection because projection already baked in Titans pass funnel, already bakes in an elevated passing rate due to matchup. You know, just want to be careful not to double count. All right. Do you want to get to listener questions before I do a reminder that if you have not upgraded from DraftKit Pro to in-season yet, you can do that by emailing us support at establishtherun.com. In-season subscribers get access to all our projections, Silva's matchups, shows, tons more. And yes, Silva is back, baby, this week. All right, enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. All right, appreciate the questions from everyone. Going to do a six-pack today. Question one from Burr10. What is your stance on leftovers? Is there a threshold for taking food to go after a sit-down meal at a restaurant? And how long How long do you keep it before throwing it out? Yeah, a c- couple parts to this. Good question. First, I would say this. If you're on a date and you are a male, you better order something you like. Because for the love of Christ, you cannot take anything home. Like, if you're on a date and you ask for a box to take home food, you might as well ask them to pack up your genitals as well because you won't be needing those. Shout out to Jerry. Now, in other situations, non-date situations, I don't really want to take food home in that spot either. You know, asking for the takeout box, it's just so humiliating. I'd rather starve. It's either one of two things in that spot. One, you ask for the to-go box and suffer the humiliation of being so weak you couldn't finish your meal. Or two, you have to tell the waiter you didn't like it, and then he slash she feels all bad, tries to bring something else, give money off the bill, whatever, have the chef come over to talk about it, apologize. I mean, just, just a nightmare. I, I can't face that. So in that spot, I want to tell the waiter, listen, man, this is not on you. This is on me. I chose the restaurant. I ordered this. I ordered this dish. Let me take some personal responsibility here. It's my fault. I don't want to box. I don't want to talk to the chef. Just let me be on my way. So the truth is that I almost never bring home food from a restaurant. It's just all too anxiety inducing. I know I'm deranged, but I just can't do it. Question two from Nathan. He says, I live in a state where sports betting is not legal, but I keep a close eye on betting lines. I'm going on a work trip this week to a state with legal sports betting. Do I download every sports betting app and live my best life using all the free bets? What is the move here? So I haven't, I have not been following the bonus whoring streets closely lately. I know that at one time, not too long ago, the EV of going to a fresh state and bonus whoring, if you did it optimally, was something absurd, like 5K per state. You know, maybe it's still that high. I'm not sure. So yeah, we aren't talking about Pez stakes here, man. I mean, we're talking about real money. And if I'm being honest, the 27-year-old me would be fucking furious with the 41-year-old me that I have not been bonus whoring. Like the 27-year-old me would be grinding my cock. I'd be driving to every state, sign up for every book, stay in the state until I clear the bonus, move on, you know? 
But now, obviously, I have a family and a business. And, and yeah, it's just not practical. But anyways, Nathan, yes, to answer your question, if you can fully understand how the bonuses work and all the payouts and requirements, et cetera, you should be taking massive advantage. It's pretty straightforward. Just two things I'd say. Be sure you're going to be in the state long enough to actually clear the bonus. You don't want to deposit, you know, get the bonus offer, and then have nothing to bet on until you have to leave the state. You can typically cash out from another state, but you can't place bets if out of state. And second, be sure you're using these quote unquote free bets optimally. You know, typically want to be on long shot money line type stuff since you don't get the stake amount back on these free bets. Uh, for more on that though, Captain Jack from our friends at Unabated has a video about on YouTube about GTO signup bonus betting. Definitely, definitely, definitely check that out. Question three from Zach says, how do you handle your DFS NFL betting volume with, respons with the responsibilities of dad slash husband life? Genuinely curious. Thanks in advance. Yeah, Zach, I, I get this question an incredible amount. And I totally get why. I feel like there aren't enough hours in the day for me to do everything that I want to do. And I don't even have a quote unquote real job. So I can't fathom adding in the responsibilities of that. So look, I know this is really hard, almost impossible. I'm currently, as we speak, doing a terrible job of it. But with anything in life, I really think the worst thing you can do is be meh at everything. You know, like, okay, it's football season, work is crazy, et cetera, et cetera. So now I'm just doing a med job being there and present for the kids. I'm doing a meh or probably worse job being there and present for my wife. I'm doing a meh job with work stuff. And, you know, to me, that's like the worst case outcome. In an ideal world, there would be no time overlaps, right? When I'm with the kids, I'm 100% with the kids. When I'm with my wife, same thing, no distractions, I'm there. With work, when I'm on it, I'm fucking on it, doing the best that I can. Obviously, that's ideal. No one can actually execute that in reality. So yeah, I'm always just trying to bucket time, you know, hey, 5 to 8 p.m., I'm 100% with the kids. Saturday, I'm 100% with the family. Sunday, I'm 100% working. You know, I know that's not great, but I hope it helps. No great answers other than figuring out a way to make the day longer. And if anyone can figure that out, please get in touch with me. Question four from Shay says, what's your least favorite part of the industry you're in? Yeah, Shay, it depends what you're asking about. In terms of actually playing peer-to-peer -peer skill games like poker and DFS, I really just love it. I, I can't really think of stuff I really don't like about it. Yeah, I know that there are scammers and people trying to cheat, but I find all that, you know, part of the game, all part of what makes it fun. You know, have to keep your head up and look for spots where you could be getting cheated. I mean, someone invites me to a home poker game. It seems like there's even a 5% chance something shady is going on. You know, I don't play. I, I guess my least favorite part of playing, I would say, is having to listen to whining about bad beats or getting fucked somehow in DFS, but whatever, that, that's not a big deal. Now, in terms of business stuff, in terms of the content game, if that's what you're referring to, Shay, I mean, there's a lot I could qualify as my least favorite part. I'd say my least, least favorite part is that to a lot of people, it's hard to distinguish between what we do versus what other people do. Like to my parents or anyone not really in the game, I'm the same as Vegas Dave, right? It's not their fault. They're not deep in this stuff, so they don't get it. But it's still shitty. So. There's so many people in the content game that are just straight clowns, 
have no idea how to win, have never had to win because for whatever reason, you know, people are trying to trick others into a get rich quick scheme. But, you know, I get why people have a hard time distinguishing between that. You know, I get it. I, I know that we do things the right way. I'm constantly trying to tell people what a realist, realistic expectation is. But all that just gets drowned out by the constant winners, winners, or here's the can't miss single game parlay, or I'm 47 and 10 in my last 57 European soccer plays. Come by my winners. You know, all, all that nonsense, it just drowns out any like actual thought or anything realistic in this space. So yeah, it's shitty. And my kids are going to go on the internet one day and I'll get lumped in with everyone else. And honestly, may, maybe I deserve that. You know, maybe the line between what we do and what I do and what the scammers do is grayer than it is in my head. You know, I think it's pretty black and white, but the problem is that you have to be really, really in the weeds to know that. Um, so again, I get it. Question five from Jonathan. He says, some friends want to do shrooms again for the first time in decades. I have three kids under three, hashtag team unprotected, and will not be joining. In fact, I don't even want to hang if they're on that level and I'm not. Can you sell me on hanging with them while no shrooms? There's a few things to unpack here, Jonathan. First, three kids under three. I mean, is that even biologically possible? I mean, what you're saying is that you were back to fucking within one to two months after the first and second kids were born while you have multiple infants in the house. I mean, that's a wild scene, man. That's some real National Geographic shit. Second, why wouldn't you do shrooms with them? I mean, if you have the window to escape three kids under three for like eight hours, I can't really think of a better play than shutting off your phone, going deep into nature and doing shrooms with your boys. You know, you'll come back to the hellscape that is three infants in a much, much more positive mental space. I, I really do think that. But yeah, if you're going to go hang with them and not trip while they are, I mean, 0% chance I would do that. None. Stone cold, no chance I'd partake in that. I'd rather change diapers, you know, with gloves on, of course, but still. All right, question six. Last question we're going to do today comes from Jake Mason. He says, when will ETR acquire Gender Labs LLC and rebrand to establish the cock? All right, Jake. All right. I get it. It's a good one. It's a good one, buddy. But I'm going to do the dick jokes around here, okay? I, I will say that a site, not all that dissimilar. Yeah, let, let me preface it with this. You guys are going to think I'm sick and deranged, but I'm going to give you an eight, maybe even nine-figure business idea right here. And again, this is a site, not all that dissimilar from Establish the Run, about instead of GTO fantasy football play, GTO sex practices. And I know that, you know, some kind of form of this shit is already out there, but I assume it's all really like sleazy videos and nonsense. I'm talking about actual data on various positions, adjusting strat for different types of women, backtesting different foreplay techniques, live streams, Q&As. And then, of course, you have all that hardcore data nerdy stuff. But then you have the fun stuff like we do on social for ETR, other fun marketing things. $100 million exit on that business. Easy game. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this week's solo pod. Appreciate you all. Be sure you stay tuned to this podcast closely as it will get crowded over the next few days. Waivers show, team by team, Silva's back for rest of season top 150. And I plan on doing an awards show, awards betting market show on Thursday as well. So stay tuned to this feed. Four, Jerry. Four, Bruce Luke. I am Adam.
Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.